0: Good morning. How are you guys doing? Amen. Hey, worship was amazing, worship team. I just wanted to give you guys props. Can we just uh, give them a round? <laughs> Man, using your gifts for the Lord, it was awesome. I was just standing back there so blessed just worshiping and uh, hearing the church sing out. That's, uh, nothing warms my heart more than to hear the whole church singing out. and. Uh, I hope it does the same for you as well. Hey, I'm Pastor Turner. We're going to continue in our series, our two-week series called Breathing Space," which or Breathing Room, which we started last week with Pastor Brody, and uh, we're going to continue on it. We're going to close it out this week. Um, if you have a Bible, I would ask that you would open up to Matthew chapter 25. We're going to get into that in a minute, but I just wanted to kind of set things up for you. The whole purpose of this series was uh, there just seems to be this compounding pressure in our culture today that demands more and more of our time, more and more of our energy, and we find ourselves with less and less opportunity to have margin in our lives, in our schedules, in our relationships, in our finances, in all of the important areas of our lives that we find ourselves where God really is trying to be the king of the Lord of and work in in a great way. And what happens is, is when we lose The margin and when those spaces in our lives begin to be used up by other things, uh, when a crisis or an important event comes in, a, a demanding event in our lives, whether it be a tragedy or some other issue, we don't have any space to deal with that in our lives. And so we called it breathing room for the sake of readjusting how we manage our time, our finances, our schedule, our relationships in line with God's word so that we can be equipped better to handle and to do exactly what God wants for us. It kind of reminds me of a story of a guy I used to work with. This guy's name was Matt. Matt was an amazing guy. He was very accomplished. He accomplished many great things for the Lord. He was, he was definitely a, a, a gifted man. And one day I went into Matt's office. I stepped into his office and he was messing with his computer. And I was like, Matt, what's going on? He goes, I don't know. My computer just keeps crashing. I can't figure out what's going on. I was like, well, let me look at it. So I walk behind his desk and I look at his computer. And he had this MacBook Pro computer laptop. And all of his files on his computer were on his desktop. Literally. Every Word document, every PDF document, every movie. Everything was on his desktop, and he could not figure out why it wouldn't start up, why it was this, what we call in the Mac world, is the bouncing beach ball of death. It's this thing. Some of you guys that are Mac users know exactly what I'm talking about. It's that beach ball that just spins, and it's just, hey, we're trying to figure out what to do. We have too much information. What was happening was, and, for, and I'll explain this in layman's terms in a minute for you non-computer types, but all, everyone who's like 29 and under right now is like way ahead of me, but... Uh, What was happening was Matt had, instead of putting all of his files in nice little folders and then dropping them into his hard drive, he was just literally spreading them out on his desktop. And so the layman's equation of this would be if you went to your office at work, those of you that have them, and you went to the file cabinet next to your desk and you opened up every one of the drawers and pulled out everything and just plopped it on top of your desk, just scattered it all over your desk. How efficient would you be at doing your work? How organized would you be? How would you know where to find, what to find, when you needed to find something? You just wouldn't. And what had happened was, is the RAM, the random access memory on his computer, was so overloaded with all of these operations that it was trying to keep up with, that all of the extra space was eaten up, and it couldn't even start up his computer. That is exactly what happens in our lives when we do these type of things and we eat up all of the breathing room that we might have in our lives. We say, yes, 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 and our ram is going, no, 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 and all of a sudden we find ourselves at where the ends aren't meeting, and we're desperate, and we also can't hold on to things. Now listen, I want to have a disclaimer about this message this morning, right off the top. I have... In no way uh, am I attempting to cause anyone to feel guilt or shame if you find yourself in the position that I'm going to describe for some of these people. Uh, That is not my goal. My goal is to enlighten us to these things so that we can make right decisions and right actions based on what God's Word is revealing to us so that we can better align ourselves with that and experience, I think, what God would want for us as believers. And so if I'm speaking and you feel like there's a nail hitting you on the head, just call that the Holy Spirit and go with it, okay? It wasn't my plan. Trust me, when I work out these sermons many times, I'm preaching to myself. You have no idea. And so it has to get through me before it can get to you. And sometimes that's not a fun process, I will admit. There was a Pew Research poll that happened in 2007, so quite a while ago, it was done at Princeton University, and the simple question on the single poll, over 40,000 participants, was, "Do you feel rushed? Do you feel rushed?" Uh, there was no significance difference, no significant difference between uh, feeling rushed by income or education level. It didn't matter whether you lived in the city or whether you lived in the suburb or lived in, a, lived in the rural part or a farm. It didn't matter what color. It didn't matter what education level you had. Okay, so when they asked this question, it went broad. And the one difference that they did find, and I'll hear a big amen in a second, I'm sure, was that between men and women, there was definitely a difference between feeling rushed. In fact, women felt 20%, 26% more rushed than men. Men only felt 20% rushed. Um... Most of the time, that's because, honestly, we're waiting for you to get ready so we can leave. I, I mean, that's just the way it happens. But check this stat out. Out of the most that felt rushed was 42% of working mothers felt rushed. And so what that's telling us is that there's some kind of imbalance happening That people are taking on more than they can handle. They're feeling that there's too much to do and not enough time to do it. There's not enough hours in a day. The amazing thing about all of this is that we have all the same amount of time in a day. God has given us 24 hours, every single one of us. It's the great equalizer to all of our lives. And we all have the opportunity, as anyone else does, to accomplish what God would have for us in that time period of 24 hours the issue then is not what we have it's how we use it and so i want to just go quickly to matthew chapter 25 and i want if my ipad will work there we go i want to look at what i'm calling our anchor verse it started it starts in verse 14 of chapter 25 and i'll just read it through verse 18 it says and again this is jesus speaking again it will be like a man going on a journey." "...who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. And then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went once and put his money to work, and he gained five bags. So also the one who had two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money." So let me just explain a little bit of the backstory here and why I chose this particular passage to connect with what we're going to talk about this morning. Uh, this passage of Scripture is actually connected, going backwards, into Matthew chapter 24. When Jesus is leaving the Temple Mount area, he's having a discussion with his disciples and he begins this discourse through chapter 24, into chapter 25, and all the way through to the beginning of chapter 26. Because when you get to chapter 26, verse 1, it says, And Jesus had finished saying all these things. And so, in other words, this huge discourse by Jesus is happening. Now, the mega theme of chapter 24 and 25 is that Jesus is talking about being prepared for the soon return of Jesus Christ. He wants his people to be prepared. He wants them to understand that this is a reality. That there are going to be certain aspects that we can recognize in the signs of the times about the ends of the age. And then he begins to unpack several parables for them. The one parable that that we looked at here is the parable of what is also known as the parable of talents. Uh, Some of your Bibles say he gave them money, but some of your Bibles, your translations say talents, and it's a reference to money. But the preceding parable that he gives is about a parable of ten virgins. And the parable of the ten virgins is given so that the reader will find themselves in a place of reflection and inventory of where they are in preparedness with the Lord's return. I'm going to connect all of this in a minute. Don't worry, I haven't taken a weird left turn on this topic. He says, it says in that parable that the virgins were, some were prepared and some were unprepared. And there was an imminent return of this groom that they were all waiting on. And he came at an an unexpected time in the middle of the night. And then what happened was, is those that were not prepared did not have the oil that they needed so that they could make their way to the party to be received by the groom. And they found themselves wanting and without. And so as you move from the parable of the virgins, you get into the parable of the talents, whereas the virgins was attending to the inward character of someone where, where they Were they really ready to be smart rather than foolish, wise rather than being dumb? Were they really ready to be certain that he's going to return and and accommodate their life in such a way that they would be prepared when they meet him? And the talents moves us from this inward, introspective, preparedness kind of warning to an outward expression of that you are going to take action on the warning. Because when you get to the parable of the talents, or the money, it connects those two very well. And so if you read it in that way, you can see exactly what Jesus was trying to bring forth, the urgency, and what he was trying to bring forth to his disciples, to you and I, even this very morning. And so the question we want to ask when we read this is, what have I done with what God has given me? Because that's what the whole parable is about. He's like... Are you prepared? Inwardly, are you prepared? Yes, I am. Okay. And then now he moves on to the parable of the talents. Well, I'm going to give you something, and are you stewarding what I've given you well? So it could be said that the parable of the talents or of the gifts of the money there is really a parable of stewardship, of stewardship. Are you taking what God's entrusted to you? Are you handling it the way that God wants you to handle it? Are you dealing with things in an honoring way to your heavenly father? Are you respecting such things in such a way that it will bring him glory on the day that it's all revealed? Because we will all face him one day. Now look, the great news is for the believer is we are off the hook of the great white throne judgment that we read about in Revelation, and we'll get into that another time. But what we do get to do, and what we do have the opportunity of, is giving an account for our lives to the Lord. And it's what we call the great Bema seat of judgment, which is basically every believer comes before God, and they give an account for the life that God gave them and how they responded to Him, and they cast their crowns of reward that He's bestowed upon them to His feet, giving Him back glory that He deserves. All of those crowns that we will cast at His feet are directly connected to what we do in this life with what he has entrusted to us. Do you see how I'm making a connection here this morning? I hope you do. Because this is of utmost importance. And if we go and stretch ourselves out so thin with things that just aren't eternal, that aren't going to bring us to that place, what we're going to find ourselves in is losing opportunities to bring God glory that he deserves. To expand his kingdom into a lost and dying and perishing world. To bring in an opportunity of our own lives to be so filled with God's spirit in such a way that we're used in miraculous ways we never thought or imagined. Yes, the Bible has told us that those of us that trust in Christ, he has a plan so divine for you, you have not thought of, you can't imagine it, and he's going to unfold it over time. Are we prepared to walk through that? Because if we want to see that, it's going to take some stewardship on our part. Amen? And so when I think about this, I think about the the talent. Let's just look at those for a minute. There's a man going on a long journey. That man who's going on a long journey is the Father, God. It's our Heavenly Father. And he has servants, so they belong to him. That's You and I, we are the followers of Christ this morning. We are the servants in this parable. He has wealth or talents that he's giving to them, entrusting to them. And we need to make note that these talents, these things that are entrusted to them, they are not the servants to hold on to. They actually are God's. These talents belong to God. They come from him and they will be returned to him in some fashion or another. And so the wealth and talents belong to God first. Secondly, they're entrusted to us for stewardship, for investment, for care. And so what would a talent look like in this day and age? Well, let me just say to you this. A marriage, children, your job. These blessings that God has decided to give to you in your life that you may have never even asked for. Maybe you desired or sought for, but God has given them to you Those are gifts, talents, they are valuable to God, and they are given on behalf of bringing glory to him. And so how you steward over these things really matters to God. And what you can do for him in relationship to those things to glorify him are really important. What's unique about this is that he gives each servant a different amount of talent. In other words, he says in their ability, he actually says specifically there, he gives them according to their ability. And I I do believe in the the whole concept that all men are created equal, but I do not believe that all men have equal abilities. There are some people who are just uniquely gifted. They're more intelligent. They're more athletic. They're more handsome. (laughs) It's a burden I bear. Some people have humor, Brody. <laughs> no one would dispute that. But the reality is, is that we all differ in our abilities that God has given us to steward well. One guy was given ten, uh, five talents, and he goes turns around and with his ability gets five more. The other guy has given two; he turns around with his ability and gets two more. And then there's that one lonely guy who gets one talent. And he goes and buries it. Obviously, we can talk about him in a minute. But what I do love about this story is that the return that they get was by the Lord himself. And the return that they got was the same. They both got a 100% return. So they invested what God gave them into God's kingdom, his glory, his purposes. And God gave a 100% return. And so this morning, if you're sitting there going, well, I don't have a lot of money. I don't have, I'm still single. I don't have, look." What you have right now sitting in that seat is what God's seen fit to give you. Invest it fully to God and watch the return that God brings out of it. He's the one that brings that return. And so we need to allow ourselves to put the talents to work. Well, if we're going to put the talents to work and we're going to do what God wants us to do scripturally and steward well, we're going to have to understand that there is an opposition that comes against these things and for us to be wise to the things that are going to come against what God wants us to do with our lives and in our lives. So I've identified three lies that I think have crept in to our evangelical Christian culture and to our culture at large, and I think we just need to be aware of them and alert to them, and once we see them, we can inventory ourselves and figure out if we need to make some adjustments. Amen? So let's look at the first one of this. The first one that I want to look at is what I call the American Dream. The American dream. It's a lie that will suffocate your breathing space. I was thinking a little bit about the American dream, and uh, it's a beautiful dream. It's a, it's a beautiful gift. I am pro-capitalism, okay, just for the record. Um, I believe that if you work, you should be rewarded. It's, just a, it's actually a biblical principle, But I do believe that with great liberty and great opportunity and blessing comes great responsibility. And I do believe that sadly, because of capitalism, there has crept in greed. I can remember growing up at my first job in 1984, I believe it was. I was 14 or so, maybe 15 years old. And I got a job working at a door-to-door salesman company selling windows and siding. And my job was to go and... Uh, knock on doors and ask people to sign up for a consultation with a salesperson to replace all of their windows and siding. It's probably how I ended up here because I just didn't, wasn't afraid to knock on someone's door cold call like that. It was the most rejecting job you could ever have. I had people let their dogs out on me. I, can, I still remember it scarred me. I remember walking, it was in Dale City, Virginia, if so any of you guys know where it is, and I walked up to this house and there was just a storm door. It was one of those older metal storm doors that had like half glass, half metal at the bottom. And I remember I walked up the stairs to the door and as I was walking up the stairs, because it was like four or five steps, like my head was coming up, I noticed a, an enormous beast. <laughs> and it was standing at the storm door with saliva coming out of his mouth and it let out the most ferocious, terrifying, skin-curling bark, roar, I'd ever heard. I literally backed down the stairs to get away from it because I was terrified. The guy comes to the door and he goes, oh, don't worry, it was a bull mastiff. I don't know if you guys know what a bull mastiff is. Its head was probably the size of this speaker here. It was enormous, one bite, I would have been done. So this job that I had doing door-to-door sales, they were all about, let's get leads, let's get sales, let's make money. And and it was at the height of the 80s. I mean, every show on TV in the 80s, if you guys know this, you identify with me. Remember Miami Vice? I mean, what other show are you going to have detectives that are fighting drug lords wearing, you know, cool white jackets, driving around in Ferraris and speedboats? That's decadence. Okay, that's not what the drug war was like, by the way. It was much gross than that. But they kind of romanticized it. But everything about the 80s was, let's get rich. Let's have all of this wealth. And I can still remember the owner of the company that I worked for. He was, he was probably in his mid-30s at that point. Now, here I am, 14, 15 years old. He pulls up one day to work in this Porsche 911 Carrera, white, with a blue top, convertible, and I saw that car. My favorite car was the Porsche. I loved the Porsche. And he was like, hey, man, you want to take it for a spin? And I was like, uh, I don't have my license yet. And he's like, oh, okay, well, one day you can have one of these if you want. And I was like, yeah, that'd be awesome. He goes, you keep working hard. You keep knocking on doors, and someday you'll have one. The next week, he pulls up in a Mercedes SEL 560, convertible, black, with a tan top. Beautiful car. I'm like... Isn't the Porsche enough? Like, come on. Ironically, several years later, he was busted for tax evasion. That's a whole other story. But the blessing of wealth and the American dream is both a blessing and a curse in our culture. Because with great affluence comes great opportunity for greed and great opportunity to serve whatever it is that you're trying to get to. In other words as it's been said before, either your money will serve you or you will serve your money. And what happens is God has seen fit to give America tremendous financial blessings. If you've never been on a missions trip any time ever into a third world country, uh, you need to go just to get your eyes opened a little bit to how extremely blessed we are in this nation. We are at the top 1% of the entire world. And by the way... If you live here in Loudoun County, you're in the top 1% of the top 1% of that. This is the wealthiest county in the United States per capita, okay? And we are sitting in the middle of all of that. We have extreme blessing of wealth. The American dream has found a home here without any question. The problem is is that the American dream pulls you away from what really matters and causes you to try and serve something else that's lesser than what God would want for you. It's seeded with greed. It's seeded with keeping up with the Joneses. It's seeded with all these other things but God gives wealth for his purposes and his kingdom. And so many times we can begin to buy into this idea that I need to keep up with, I need to get that, I need that new car, that SUV, whatever it would be, that place, that house on the hill, whatever it would be, and we begin to serve that dream more than asking God to just let it all happen if it's his will and stewarding well over what he's given us. Look, I'm guilty too. I have ambitions and dreams I have yes, I would love the life of comfort i 'm not going to lie to you i 've sat and daydreamed at a stoplight about what it would be like to win the 70 million dollar you know lottery that 's out I mean you've got to play it i don 't play it, but it, and I think about, oh, I would give this person a million and that person a million. You know and, you, and then you start doing bargaining with God. Okay God, well, so we could I could give Greg like 20 million for Greenway and then he 'd be done, and we 'd get that and you know, And like you start thinking about all these things, right? And, and it's just not real. It's just not real. And it's seated in something that's far less than what God has for us. But the blessing with wealth comes responsibility of stewardship. Verse 14 of, of chapter 25 there, it says, uh, who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. It's important for us to remember whose wealth is this in the first place. Everything that you have, God has entrusted to you because it's his in the first place. Everything. Did you know that the breath in your lungs that you are breathing right now belongs to God? It's not even yours. You're borrowing it. He's loaning it to you. You have it for that inhale, that exhale, so your body can stay upright. It's all God's. Nothing is ours. We came into this world. You didn't even want to come in this world. You had no choice in the matter. God chose it, right? You came in with nothing. You're leaving with nothing. You're not taking anything with you. In fact, you're paying it forward by how you live your life here. That's the whole principle of today's message. But guess what? Guess what? Everything belongs to God. How are you going to steward it this morning? We are all called as servants, and we've been entrusted with His wealth. The number two lie that we believe so easily is something a little less nefarious, but it's more. Power, it's just as powerful, and it's what I call the social media scheme. The social media scheme. This is like the next level of keeping up with the Joneses because it, it, you know, keeping up with the Joneses is the typical this. You get out of your car when you come home from work and you look over at your neighbor's yard and you're like, wow, I wish I could have my yard look that green or whatever, or he's got the new car or he's got the new mower or whatever. And you, you start to do this outward looking and comparing. But social media doesn't work so much on that. What it does, is it takes all that outward stuff and it internalizes it. Because you're taking it through, looking at it, and it's just going up in here, and it's playing its special games with your mind. And it's very subtle. Look, I'm not down on social media. I'm all over social media. I watch it. I, you know, I'm on it all the time. It's part of what we do in our culture. But you have to be wise about it. The scheme of social media is that it portrays something that isn't always the case. In other words, when you're looking at someone's profile or someone's you know, Facebook page or Instagram or whatever account, what you're seeing is what they're putting forward. And so many of us will take 18 photos before we actually hit the go-ahead-and-send button because it's got to be just the right light, just the right color, just the right angle. I can't show that part of my chin. Whatever it is. I'm t- you're laughing because it's True. And it's how we portray ourselves, and it's how we measure up to what other people are portraying themselves, and it becomes this internal keeping up, and it's a scheme. Because at the end of the day, we're all the same. We all have the same needs. At the end of the day, no one's better than anyone else. You need the perfect makeup, the perfect mom, the perfect meal, the perfect marriage, the perfect house, the perfect outfit, the perfect car, the perfect body, whatever it would be. It feeds all into all of that. And so everything that God's given you, he's entrusted to you, is now held into comparison with what someone else is showing what they've been given. It's a trap. And check this out. Advertisers have gotten wise to all of this. There's an entire group of Instagram accounts that are called influencers. And think about this for just a minute, I'll explain it to you. And this will wise you up a little bit. So, certain people on Instagram have lots of followers, maybe 3,000 followers on Instagram. And so, an advertiser, an advertiser says, Well, guess what? We kind of like their style we're in their range of fashion, would send them a couple outfits. It'll be cheap. And what they'll do is they'll unbox them, open them, and show them to all of their followers. And so for one, the cost of one or two outfits, we can, we can reach 3,000 or 5,000 or 10,000 or 100,000 people in a moment. And guess what? If 10 people buy, we got a 10 times return on just that one thing that we sent out. And so the advertisers now are looking for people that are building these audiences and they make them what they call influencers. And it's so subtle because it just comes through your feed. You don't even realize what you're looking at. And some of it's okay. Some of it's fine. And some of it you actually follow on purpose because you're interested in what they have to offer. But the reality is it's a scheme. It's a marketing scheme that's built around the idea of you want to keep up with so-and-so and so-and-so and -and so-and-so. And it'll never deliver. So it's the social media scheme And then the last lie, which is really my most important one, is we believe it's all up to me. You get home from work, there's chores to be done, people need to be taken to practice, dinner needs to be made, laundry needs to be folded, bills need to be paid, it's just an unending cycle that comes around, around and again and again and again. And we can begin to believe this lie that everything depends on me. It's all about, it's all up to me. And if I don't get this done and it's not done, it's going to be a failure. Look at what verse 16 and 17 says. It says, the man who had received five bags of gold went on at once and put his money to work and he gained five more. So also the one who had two bags of gold, he gained five two more. Remember, the results that we have are up to God. The issue is, is are you stewarding the right things the right way? Ironically, the guy who gets rebuked for all of this is the guy who went and buried the town. He's the one who actually didn't even take what God had given him and stewarded it well. He gets rebuked for all of that. In fact, what he had was taken from him and given to someone who was much more faithful. Sometimes in order to get to that return of investment, you have to say no. There's things you just have to say no. I can remember early on, we have, I have three children, and um, I can remember early on my wife and I making a decision, and this is just our decision, I'm, not, I'm just telling you this, it's not what I think you have to do, but we said we're going to have our children, we'll play one sport a year, that's it because I can't afford to keep them in eight different sports, number one. And number two, I don't have enough time to cart them around to all these practices and be at all these games. And number three, it's not that important for their character. It's not that important for their character. They don't need to be in soccer, baseball, football, field hockey, and everything. They just don't. And we made a decision for our family's sake for our own sanity, for our own ability to manage and steward well so that we weren't pulled at reverse ends, so that we're not passing like ships in the night, which is really hard to do, that we would make this decision. It's really amazing. Jesus, well, God, in his design of all of creation, he's given to us this beautiful gift, and it's called the Sabbath. And it's the most underutilized gift in all of creation that he's given to mankind to help us to refuel, refresh, and to create a little bit of margin in our own lives. In fact, Jesus says in Mark chapter 2, verses 27 and 28, he says, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. The son of man is Lord of the Sabbath. In other words, God saw in all of His creation, when He was making mankind, when He was making all of everything we enjoy in this world, He saw that at the very end of it all, there needed to be a rest, a refuel, a moment of stopping. And in that moment of stopping, He would do a miraculous work in our lives of rest and restoration and healing so that we could get on to the next thing. He knew that man's capacities would be to keep pushing through, keep pushing through. What's amazing to me is when you study businesses like Chick-fil-A and a couple of these other businesses out there, they actually work less but have higher gains of profit because they're honoring God's day of rest. They allow their people, whether their people honor it or not, I don't know, but they decided to let their people honor a day of rest. And so what God has done is God has honored them. Maybe you're not being able to make ends meet and getting all these things happen is because you've been ignoring God's day of rest that he's been trying to give to you, that he's actually structured into all of creation because he's wise and he has it all understanding. He made it all and he's put it in there for your benefit. The Sabbath was made for man. How many of us are going to leave church today and go and start to Think about what we have to do tomorrow at work and start putting ourselves into a work mindset. And it doesn't have to be Sunday. Give yourself a day where you don't do anything. Test it. Look, man, I trust God's word. I'm just going to tell you right now, if you test it, it might be rough for a week or two, but if you stick with it, I think God will honor that because you're honoring him. And you'd be amazed at what God can do with what you can't do. But I do want to end on this one thing because Jesus said he's the Lord of the Sabbath. And ultimately, Jesus is our Sabbath. You can't get to any of understanding the soon return of Christ, the internal work of the ten virgins of being prepared and agreeing with God's coming and being prepared of of aligning your heart with his word and then the talents of stewarding your life according to what god would want if you haven't entered into that relationship with him and every time that you live your life apart from him and try and do you know things your own way you're striving and working in your own effort and when it comes to heaven you will never be able to work hard enough and strive enough. And God is saying to you this morning, I have provided a Sabbath for you, and His name is Jesus. All your striving to get to heaven can be rested in Christ. It has to start there. And so if you're here this morning, you've never accepted Jesus in the offer of salvation he's given you everything you're doing is spinning your wheels to try and make it to heaven you don't even realize it probably and you're you're just spun out and he's inviting you in to eternal rest by accepting the free gift of salvation the forgiveness of all of your sins the coming together of the what you were made to be with your creator in a spiritual life that he imparts to you he gives that He gives that this morning and it's by faith that you receive it because it happened over 2,000 years ago when Jesus went to a cross, hung on a cross, took on the sins of the world, bled as an innocent man and took a life sentence that he did not deserve so that we could receive salvation for our sins and forgiveness. He rose from the dead three days later. The proof that he belonged and that he was the son of God. And that all comes by faith. And when you receive that by faith, God imparts to you his very Holy Spirit to come and dwell inside of you. And so I want to start by praying for that first because that's the most important. If you're here this morning and you have not done that, that is the most important thing. That is why you're here today, without a doubt, in my mind. And so let's just bow our heads and pray. Father, we thank you this morning. And I pray for that person who, first of all, needs that eternal Sabbath found in you maybe they've been running they've been looking at every other religion they've been looking at every other spiritual thing but God this morning their heart has just been stirred they know right now I just pray they would surrender to you and if that's you you can just simply pray I believe and I trust in you Jesus be my Lord and Savior send me your Holy Spirit today And God, for the person who's just been striving in their own, Lord, to try and just become that thing that they think in their mind needs to happen, I pray that you would give them that rest, that you would give them, Lord God, that Sabbath they need, that you would create breathing room in their life, that they would begin to recognize the gifts that they have the opportunities to steward and the rewards that you have for them. And so, Jesus, we pray these things. We thank you, God, for these things. And we just commit all of them to you in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen.